having covered those things, the, uh, this message today that I, I, I've prepared really with a lot of help from a friend of mine, Rich Nathan. I really have to give him credit because I've, uh, I've really taken his outline and, and I've, I've kind of uh, made it me, but I'm really grateful. And I want to give credit to, to Rich Nathan because he really did the, the yeoman's work on this message. But uh, the, the series that we're going through is taking the shape of Jesus because Jesus is, is shaping us to be a people who are moving to the center of the city. And, and what will we look like? What kind of people will we be? And so... The, that's, that's what this is about. Um, and so today, I don't know if you've ever, how many of you have ever heard a message, just a me, not a reference in a message, but the whole message was about fasting? One, Christo, get out of here. Really? A whole message? And Jeannie? Two, oh, all right, all right, Britta. So three, three out of everybody here, maybe four, four or five, five, okay, five, six, seven, eight. Okay, eight or nine. Okay, nine, nine, a ten, ten, we got ten going eleven. All right, we've got eleven. Yeah. Okay, so we have we have a very few, very few of us <laughs> have actually heard an entire message on fasting. This is your lucky day. Yay! You're gonna get an entire message on fasting. Really, uh, this week as I was preparing for this thing, I tell you, it is a world. Fasting and prayer is a world. It is just, I could go weeks just talking about fasting, but I'll spare you all that. Um, now, let, I want to start on the downside of fasting here. How many of you have ever had to fast in order to give blood? Anybody? Now, now a lot of hands have gone up, especially all the older people in here. Okay, so you got to fast before you give blood, you know, they, uh, and, uh, and that time of fasting, that evening before, I get up in the morning I'm looking forward to coffee and, you know, some eggs or something. And I go, ah, oh, can't do that. It'll mess up the, the, the blood deal, you know. And you can't drink anything. You know how hard it is when you have to do the blood and then you have to do the urine side of it. You hadn't had anything to drink for about 12 hours. You know, I want to go borrow from somebody next door. So it's, you're not supposed to talk about these things at church. But anyway, you know, giving, I know, where did that come from? Blood, giving blood is so awful. Because, and fasting is awful, because I'm of the firm opinion that we should be people, we've got these whole gastronomic systems that were built by God to eat, and we are Texans. I know, I mean, what's the point if you don't use it, right, Mike? Huh? Yeah. I mean, we are Texans. We do this well, <clears throat> really well. There are people who come from around the country to study how well we do eating food here. So, you know, fasting and Texans like, whoa, wait a minute. This is going to really cramp our style. And, uh, and I don't want to get back to giving blood, but just as about that again, you know, I'm of the firm opinion also that blood ought to stay well within the body. And sharp things should stay far away from the body. Are we agreed on this? <clears throat> it's just not right to go and to put the two together. It's just completely wrong. That's like your worst day ever, fasting and giving blood. Okay, but we, most of us have done that. Now, today, talking about fasting, it's part of our Lent experience. And for some of you, you don't know what Lent is, except you think it's something that fell to the bottom of your pocket. But it's not something in the bottom of your pocket. For those of you who, are, who grew up in the high church, you know what Lent is. Lent is that six-week period that begins on Ash Wednesday, and it leads up to Good Friday. Ash Wednesday to Good Friday. The practice of getting ready for Holy Week. That's what Lent is. It's the practice of getting ready for Holy Week, the week preceding Easter. And it's, it's as we prepare ourselves, we're preparing ourselves, this Lenten preparation, it goes, it goes toward making room for God. And it's also something that's rooted way back in Christian history. I mean, the really early saints began to do this stuff. I mean, right after Jesus <clears throat> rose and started the church, the early Christians, when it started coming up toward Easter, they said, let's prepare ourselves. I mean, this is heavy duty, man. This is the Son of God coming to earth. This is, this is, this is the Son of God taking on human flesh, taking on human sin, taking on human judgment, taking on human death. Would have kept us. Would have held us down forever. But he rose from the dead. 
And now he gives eternal life to all those who receive him. We need to prepare ourselves to make room for this gospel and take it to the nations. This is what they began to think to themselves. And so they came up with this, this whole deal of going 40 days. Now, where did they get the idea? They got the 40 days from looking at the tremendous significance that 40 days have in the Bible. It turns out that as these early Christians began to study the, the, the scriptures, they found that Moses was preparing himself to receive the Ten Commandments. You want to guess how many days? Yeah. Yeah. And, and Elijah, Elijah, he is, he's gone through enormous spiritual warfare. This, uh, he, he's almost lost his life numerous times. And now he, he says, I got to get away and spend time with God. You know how many days Elijah spent with God? Want to guess? 40 days. Yeah, Elijah spent 40 days with God. And so we find also in the scripture that, uh, that Jesus was fasting and with God in preparation for his ministry for how long? Yeah, 40 days again. So uh, I just, I just want to remind you that this is something that the early Christians did. The early Christians garnered from the scriptures recognizing that they're gigantic heroes in order to make space for God, in order to, to, to get prepared, they, they spent this chunk of time getting, getting ready. And for most of us in the church, we don't do much of that. I think there's another reason for doing Lent, and that is uh, in most of our lives, we don't have any rhythms anymore. See, in the old days, people had seasonal rhythms. You know, you took crops in. You know, where I grew up down in Belton, Texas, uh, we, had, we had whole rhythms of life built around farm life. And uh, that's been mainly lost because America's no longer an agrarian country. And so people move to the cities, there's no more rhythm anymore. I mean, it's like go, 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 go. One day bleeds into another, a week into another, a month into another. A year goes by, you're going, whoa, where'd that year go? Right? Am I talking to you or what? And so there's just this blur of life. And the Christians, the Christians figured, you know what? We need to get a rhythm going that slows life down a little bit and helps us to focus on God. I think that's so smart. I, I think it's so wise. And, and, uh, and so the, uh, the first thing that, let's see if I got, I got this right. Turn it on. There it is. There it is. Okay. Must turn on. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, I know. I should. I should. I'm going to get it down after a few weeks. All right. So uh, fasting is about spiritual spring cleaning. Um, one of the happiest times of the year for Anna is spring because uh, that's my one time a year where I clean the garage. Now, the garage is my space, okay? The rest of the house doesn't need a spring cleaning because Anna missed that somewhere along the line, that you're supposed to leave stuff, you know, collect for a year, and then you clean it out in the spring. She doesn't operate that way. She doesn't leave anything to collect anywhere. She sees stuff that my man eyes will never see, either on the floor or the wall or someplace. You know, I just don't see it. I'm built not to see it. Um, that's what men just, it's got to be about as big as a cat to see it. But it's got to be, you know, and if it's not moving, you won't see it. So uh, 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 spring cleaning and me don't get along, except uh, one time a year I clean my garage. I'm, she's really grateful for that. I'm really grateful for it, too, because w when there's something she doesn't want in the house, you know where she, she wants it to go, right? And then you know what she says to me? Bob, you have the messiest garage I've ever seen. Every time Gary opens his garage, it's so nice and neat. I say, yeah, Gary's not married to you. you know, everything that goes out of the house goes in the garage, and I've got it everywhere because you want to have it some other time, and you don't want it in the house, and that's why my garage is messed up. She says, that is not true, and it makes a big argument every spring, and that's what helps me to get going to clean the garage. But garage, garage cleaning and spring cleaning, everybody... Uh, you know, you recognize, you come to a time of the year where you realize stuff has gotten cluttered. Anybody collect stuff? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've got some collectors. But uh, once we engage in personal self-examination, 
Now, now I'm not talking about our houses or our garages. Once we start into personal self-examination, guess what you've collected over the last year? You've collected clutter. Accumulated junk. Accumulated judgments toward other people. Accumulated bitterness because of life disappointments. Accumulated habits of entertaining ourselves. And, you know, most of this stuff right here, most of the stuff right here has, uh, has given immediate fulfillment, but over time it kind of wears out, but we don't get rid of it. We just let it still hang out in our lives. It's not producing the bang it did at first, but we're hoping it might again, so we leave it there, and we go back and visit it. And over a year, we end up with a bunch of clutter in our lives, stuff collected that just shouldn't be there. These habits of entertaining ourselves, this last one, uh, don't, in most ways, in most ways, they do not contribute to the overall spiritual health of our lives. And so we have, you know, junk thoughts, uh, junk uh, habits, and junk food. And so here's a question. What needs to be cleaned out? What needs to be cleaned out? You know, fasting has been defined as the voluntary denial of something for a specific period of time for spiritual purposes. And so, fasting is not another colon cleanse. Okay? This is not another... I know some of you are disappointed. I know, what? I Yeah. Okay, it's not a colon cleanse. And uh, also, it is, it, it is not a time for denying yourself things that have made you fat over the year, so you're going to get buff body in 40 days. That's called Vanity. That's not fasting. That's vanity. Okay. So this is not to get back to solid body. And some of you are not going to get there in 40 days anyway. So <laughs> here's the deal. Uh, fasting is about, it's about get, it, taking charge again of, of your life. And I needed to, to say at the front end here that the reason the Bible encourages fasting and that we as a church are going to be engaged in fasting over these, these, the rest of these 40 days is not for the purpose of having all of us lose weight or harder body or have a more sexy figure or any of that kind of stuff. But I have to say it's because there is this deep motive, this deep motive that's rising up in us to be a people who are taking the shape of Jesus. Okay? And, uh, and that, that is so radical. The primary purpose, you see, of fasting is to gain more of God. This is what it's all about. And, uh, and so it's hard for us to, to uh, uh, when our lives are full of clutter, to have room for God. We're just too full. Richard Foster, he puts it this way. We fast in order to feast on God. Let me say that again because that will stick with you. We fast in order to feast on God. Now, you may have come to the recognition in your life that every pore of your being is stuffed full of the world. You're stuffed with entertainment and food and possessions and anxieties. And the result of being stuffed to the brim is that you feel, you, over time, you get dull to the voice of God, to the presence of God, to the Spirit of God. Look, I know this. It happens to me. I'm human. I'm a pastor, but I'm a human being. And so you feel spiritually flabby and lazy. Internally, you do not feel spiritually sharp and alive. You, you, you don't only have a dull sense of the voice of God, but also dull to the power of God, dull to God's will in the moment. When, when you've got a choice to make and you're starting to look back and you realize, I've made, I'm making a series of bad choices now. And it's leading me in a direction where I'm arriving someplace I do not like. And God's been convicting me, and I'm still making those choices. What's up? That's spiritual dullness, guys. And, uh, and you're missing God's purpose for your life. It's because you're full of this other stuff, and the enemy's it's, it's real spiritual warfare. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But turning your Bibles to Isaiah 58. There's some Bibles underneath your, your seats. I hope you brought one today or pull your phone out or your pad or something and Turn to Isaiah, Isaiah 58. Isaiah is right almost in the middle of your Bible. So if you let your Bible fall over in the middle, you might go to Psalms or something. Turn right and go to Isaiah. 
scroll to the 58th chapter, and uh, Isaiah is talking here about fasting. And he says here, begin, Isaiah, you there? 58, if you're there, raise your hand. Are you, you there? Okay, everybody's there. Okay. Cry loudly, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet and declare to my people their transgression and to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me day by day and delight to know my way. So this is so, this makes my head hurt to read this. As a nation that has done righteousness and has not forsaken the ordinance of their God. They ask me for just decision. They delight in the nearness of God. Why have we fasted and you do not see? Why have we humbled ourselves and you do not notice? Behold, on the day of your fast, you find your desire and drive hard all your workers. Behold, you fast for contention and strife and strife with a wicked fist. You do not fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high. It's a fast. It is a fast like this which I choose, a day for a man to humble himself. Is it for bowing one's head like a reed and for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed? Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day to the Lord? Is not this the fast which I choose? To loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke. Is it not? Look at this next part. This is so good. Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry? And bring the homeless poor into the house? When you see the naked to cover him? And not to hide yourself from your own flesh? And then your light will break out like the dawn and your recovery will speedily spring forth and your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from your midst to the pointing finger and the speaking wickedness, and if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desires of the afflicted, then your light will rise in the darkness. Then your gloom will become like midday, and the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places. You give strength to your bones, and you'll be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And from those, those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins and you'll raise up the age-old foundations and you'll be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. Isn't that a great promise? That's the fruit of real fasting right there. And so, uh, now, with your Bible in your hand, let's, let's make a prayer to the Lord. Lord, may your word, may your word feed my spirit. And be a sword to remove what is not of you, and wisdom for doing what is of you. And may your word light my way and empower my life. Amen. Now, if you were to break down this text here in Isaiah 58, you might say that verses 1 through 5 might be subtitled, Fasting When It's, when it's Stinky Wrong. Okay. And verses 6 through 12 might be subtitled, Fasting When It's Sweet and Right. And so, verses 1 through 5 are bad reasons to fast. Verses 6 through 12, 12 good reasons to fast. Major problem in verses 1 through 5 is religion without reality. Anybody ever run into that? It's called, you know, it's called veneer spirituality. Anybody work with wood around here? You know what a veneer is, right? Yeah. Well, a veneer looks real good. You know, I, I, I studied up on veneer for this message because I was curious about it. Somebody said to me the other day, well, veneer's been around for a long time, and somebody else was arguing, no, 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 that just got invented like, you know, 50 years ago. A actually, uh, the Egyptians used veneer. The ancient Romans used veneer. Uh, veneer's been around a long, long time. But in America... They got real popular in the latter part of the uh, 19th century, about the 1880s to about that time going forward. The Industrial Revolution hit hard, and uh, it, was, it, it was just a lot cheaper to use a thin veneer of a hardwood and put it over some junk wood underneath. Originally, they put it over pine, and then we invented particle board. And so you're looking at a piece of, you're looking, you, you go to 
You know, you go to some furniture store and you say, boy, that's a nice looking piece of oak furniture. You take it home and you scratch it. You're real mad at yourself for scratching it. You scratched it two millimeters deep. And what did you find underneath there? Particle board. Yeah. And then your two teenage kids start rumbling around. They run into the thing and they bust it up and it falls apart in a billion pieces because it's made out of thin veneer and particle board. And so what he's talking about here is veneer spirituality. Um, and so what Isaiah is accusing the people of is he's saying that they're going through the motions of religion. It's just a pretense. It's all on the surface. It's all appearance. Their so-called faith doesn't penetrate their hearts. And it doesn't result in any real action. Now, mind you, they are religious. In fact, these folk who got veneer religion, they like veneer religion. They like it. And in verse 2, it says, it says in verse 2, they seek me day by day and delight to know my ways as a nation that has done righteousness and has not forsaken the ordinance of their God. And they ask me for just decisions and they delight in the nearness of God. It says here that they're eager. He says it a couple times. He uses the phrase as if. As if they were a nation that does right. And, it, and then there's this word there that, it's, that it seems as if that they are a, a people who seek me day by day. You know, it's, it, it, it kind of looks that way, but it's, it's not a fact. It, it seems that they're eager to know God, but they merely appear that way. They're not a nation that does what is right. They're pretenders. You know, Alan Wolf, the secular Jewish professor, he wrote this book. He's no friend of Christianity. He's a secular guy. And he's not a believing Jew, even. He's a secular Jew. And he wrote this book entitled The Transformation of American Religion, How We Actually Live Our Faith. Alan Wolf said, essentially, that secular America has nothing to fear from evangelical Christians. Now, Alan Wolf hangs out with very liberal people, very irreligious people. And he wrote this book to comfort his pals. Wolf comforts his fellow secularists. He says this, quote, I understand that you are afraid of the evangelicals because of their overt religiosity. You see them praying over their food in restaurants, carrying their Bibles, talking about voting the way Jesus instructed them to vote. But as secularists, we have nothing to fear from evangelicals. Despite all of their talk about being different and distinct, evangelical churches are shot through with American pop psychology and Oprah-style spirituality. Yes, they are a little annoying with all their Jesus talk, but don't worry. Here's the message. They don't mean it. What an indictment. Man, I read this, and it was like, whoa. Whoa. Here are all these Christians who talk about their faith a lot, about how they are citizens of another kingdom and how they've given their whole lives to Christ. But don't worry, America, they don't mean it. <clears throat> so that's what the Lord, through the prophet Isaiah, is accusing the Jews of. He says, yeah, you make a big show of religion, but you don't mean it. See, because God looks on the heart, right? And so... Uh, I have to ask the question, do you mean it? Hey, Bob, I had asked myself. I read this. I, I, you know, I, I had to pause for a moment. I said, Lord, do I mean it? I ask those of you who consider yourselves to be Christians. For all your talk about Jesus, would this secular writer, Alan Wolf, this guy, would he be correct about you and other Christians that you know when he says, they don't really mean it. I know, for example, how, how has your relationship with Christ affected your view of people of a different race than you? Now, don't be telling me, Pastor, you don't know the neighborhood I grew up, grew up in. You don't know what kind of nonsense this white boy had to deal with. Or you could say, Pastor, you don't know what kind of neighborhood I grew up in. You don't know 
what I had to deal with in my African-American neighborhood. You don't know what I had to deal with being an Asian-American in a culture, in a world that's so different than me. You don't know. So don't you be talking to me about that. I got reason to hold my aughts. I got reason because I've been mistreated. Don't you be talking to me about that. I'm talking to you about that. I'm talking to you today. I'm talking to me. You want to take me up with this later? You want to beat me up with it? Afterwards, I got my bodyguards. You can't beat me up, but you got to talk nice. But after church, community lunch, we'll have a talk. But we're going to have a talk here today. Because something, this is something that's near and dear to us at, the, at this church. It isn't that we're an interracial church and all that kind of, of, of talk, which has really come out of, of, uh, of the 50s and 60s and, and that the movement to have justice and righteousness racially across our nation. That's all right and good, but I'm saying we're a church who owns the biblical value that Jesus Christ died for people, okay? Good people who think they're good, but their goodness will not get them to heaven. And bad people who know they're bad, who have no hope of getting to heaven, and then they get hope because they find out that Jesus died for sinners. And they, they say, any sinners here? And they're the first ones to raise their hands. Yeah. They go, I'm a candidate for the kingdom of heaven because I'm one of them sinners. You see, we're a church that says, we're not, we're not colorblind. Nobody's colorblind. We're, we're a people who say God loves color. Yeah. God loves all color. Jesus died for every color. We're a church that loves color. That's what we're about. That's what this vineyard's about. That's what the church of Jesus Christ is about. And so i got to ask you today, has your relationship with Christ affected your view of people with a different race than you? Okay? A little, a lot, maybe not at all. you got 40 days to fast and deal with that one. Yeah. I mean, do you still find yourself bristling when you see couples together who are different races? I want to ask you that today. Do you attribute certain attitudes to people who are a different race than you, even though you don't know one thing about them? You just make a general judgment about a whole race? Do you do that? Has your relationship with Christ affected your approach to conflict and anger? I grew up in an angry home. And we, people got angry just passing the butter across the table. And I married Anna where if you got angry at her table, it was the end of your life. Only person ever got to be angry was the patriarch, King George. That was her father's name. But in that Greek home, nobody got to be angry but him. And then you better run and hide. But anger rarely serves us well. I mean, how many times has your anger served you well? You can step back a day or two later and look at it and say, God, I am so grateful for my anger. I've come to realize that the anger of Bob always serves the righteous purposes of God Almighty. Good thing you got me on earth to teach all the people who's dumb about anger how to use it right. Unbelievable. Has your anger served you well? And the, are, you, are you more quick to forgive now than you used to? Okay. Are you less judgmental? Do you find it easier to give people the benefit of the doubt? Or do you jump to judgment real quick? You see, has your relationship with Christ affected your approach to money? Oh, now, Pastor Bob, you're not going to go there today. We're about to run out of time. You know, I've shared the word of the Lord about, uh, about giving the tithe. And then I started talking about offerings, and some of y'all said, oh, Pastor Bob, I'm just trying to work out the tithe. And when you told me that was 10% of everything that comes in, I almost fell dead on the floor at church. And then you said there's offerings above that? Oh, my, oh, my. Oh, no, oh, no. I came to church to get something, not to give anything. <laughs> You're doing a bait and switch on me here. No, actually, we're moving to the center, and we're taking the shape of Jesus. And that's about giving. Okay, that's just giving. It's about giving uh, 
And that's fundamental in, a, in your life. It's just like I'm a giving person. That's because Jesus is, is, is he's the giving Savior. It just marks my life. I mean, there's going to come. Some of you have, have decided, I'm going to take this, uh, you know, this pledge card, and, uh, and I'm going to give something to missions. And I'm going to give something to storehouse and benevolence, you know, every month. And, and, and some of you all fill this out. I have some at the back if you hadn't had a chance to do it yet. But it's amazing that in just a couple of weeks, with less than, you know, not, not all of you have responded yet. We've had about half the people who could respond have responded, and we're halfway already to our goal of raising all the funds we need to cover all of missions, all of benevolence, all of storehouse for the whole year ahead. It's amazing. And, you know, we just didn't talk about it before. I just figured y'all would pick up on it here and there. Then I realized i got to do a better job communicating because it's not because you don't want to give. It's just you didn't know. So now you know. And it's amazing knowing that uh, so many have responded. If you haven't responded yet, now that you know, remember, God holds you accountable only for what you know. Okay, so now you know you're, you're accountable for that. So, uh, okay, so let's, uh, let's, let's move on about this. We have uh, our approach to money. Has God changed your approach to money? Do you realize now? I was like, oh, God, you own everything. I'm happy to be generous. I'll do whatever it takes. Because, you see, you did whatever it, take, whatever it took to get me. I'll do whatever it takes. See the gospel go to others. Um, now, this sort of thing doesn't just suddenly happen. I had no value for caring about, you know, justice, racial righteousness, truth-telling, forgiveness. And suddenly I'm going to get it. I'm going to show up in church one day and shed a tear or two, and I'm going to get it all in a moment. See, that doesn't happen usually. What happens, now some people get converted, and, and Jesus just, just cleans some stuff out like now. And then he leaves some other stuff in where you've got to be desperately dependent on him, okay? And I've asked the Lord about that. And he said, well, it's just like the children of Israel going into the promised land. Some went out immediately, and others had to be taken bit by bit. So they had to continue to grow in faithfulness and dependence on God. And that's the same for you. So fasting then furthers the strength and power and presence of the Lord because it makes more room for God in your life. And the reason why we're fasting is because as if, when you've got an area of your life, maybe you've given yourself to anger. Or you've seen money as something you own and you control, and it's all about you. And, and now you're coming this time before, before Resurrection Day, and you're beginning to pray about it, and the Holy Spirit's talking to you, and he's transforming you, and you're turning that stuff over to the Lord. And he's going after some things that he's left in your life to deal with now. He was real gracious with you to let you stumble along with that in your life before. And now it's time to deal. Now's the time. Don't leave it anymore. Now's the time. Okay, so now fasting is wrong when it's, uh, when it's uh, uh, a lot of religion. And uh, what Jesus wants inside of us is authenticity, Right? What's he, what he wants in a church is authenticity. One of the highest values of this church is genuineness. Our church is committed not to put on a show at our worship services. We reject glitz and hype and spiritual talk. There's no real indicator of where a person stands with God. Um, and, uh, and we sing these songs like this worship set today. Some of these songs of this worship set today, I mean, it's just... I'm like naked before the Lord. It's just me talking to God. I don't, I'm not singing a song where somebody else is telling their story about God. Those are called testimony songs. I'm not singing a song where somebody's crying out for more of God. Oh, God, I suck. I need more of you. It's not that song. It's not singing a song where it's like, um, I used to be this, but now I did, now I've been, my life has changed, you know, that kind of song. Uh, and it's not one of those songs where, oh, oh, Lord, I'm praying. It's the, it's the intercessory prayer song where they're praying for everybody verse by verse. And you're going, oh, man, this is a, this is a cool song. I don't need to pray for another week because I prayed for everything under the sun with all ten verses of this song, you know. And there's all these songs going around. 
And, you know, a lot of people, most, most of our churches do songs that are about God, songs that are about what I get from God, what I want from God, okay? What I already got from God or, what, or, or something that made me happy about God. You know, it's always about me. It's me, me, me. Very rarely do you go someplace where song after song is you are naked in the presence of God, and it's me and you, it's, it's just me and God, and you're saying, oh, God. And, and you, you're kind of croaking out those words, I love you. Shoot, some of you haven't told your wife you love them in a month of Sundays, right? Some of you haven't told people near and dear to you love them. Hardly do you have a would you regularly say, oh, God, I love you? And rarely would you let God love you in return. We're a church that is committed to no glitz but standing in the presence of God and let God get you. And you give God your heart and your passion and your love. And, you know, if we're not going to do it here, there's almost no place else on earth where it's going to happen. I am grateful to God for our worship teams. They don't shy away from singing songs that are uncomfortable. You standing naked in the presence of God, it's time to do business. Okay? I'm grateful to God for you. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, when is fasting wrong? Well, when it's a way to earn God's favor. Uh, religion 2,700 years ago in Isaiah's day, and religion today is marked by this attitude that if I do some religious practice, play a certain... You know, uh, pray a certain amount of time, read my Bible every morning, fast a certain amount of time, then I'm accepted by God. Uh, Martin Luther, the great father of the Protestant Reformation, taught that religion is the default mode of the sinful heart. Religion, our anxious attempt to earn God's favor, is always going to produce people who are angry and contentious and divisive. That doesn't matter whether it's Islam or Mormonism or Hinduism or Jainism, or whateverism, if it's religion and it's about earning God's favor, it's always going to produce people who are angry and contentious, divisive. It just, that's what that kind of religion does. And so at this church, we will not lift ourselves up by putting other people down. We're a people who have received grace and we'll be a people who give grace. That's who we are. That's what we do. Well, when is fasting right? Well, verse 6 tells us that this is when fasting is right. And he says, to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free. Wow. Let the oppressed go free. Fasting is right when it's designed to spread freedom. Isn't that good? Fasting is right when it's designed to spread freedom. And, uh, you know, that's what verse 6 says. And there's four terms here. Loosing the chains of injustice. Untying the cords of the yoke. You know, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Do you know who else has a yoke? Yeah, you guessed it. The devil has a yoke. And he wants to put that yoke on you that you'll learn of him. Anybody ever had the yoke of the devil on their backs and they learned of the devil's ways? Huh? Anybody? Yeah. This is a promise. When we fast and pray, there are people who's got the devil's yoke on their back, and with that will be untied and torn off and thrown aside, and people come running to Jesus. That's what this church is about. The gospel is a message of freedom. It's a message of freedom. And, uh, and so Isaiah says, if you want this, have you ever considered fasting? <laughs> and... and uh, it's so fasting is something that Isaiah says, you might consider doing this. Now, fasting breaks bondages, right? And uh, there's this spiritual principle that in the early church they were very aware of. And that is that when people came to Jesus, they had to drive out demons. Oh, you're saying, Bob, are you talking, are you talking demons in the 21st century? Yes, I'm talking demons in the 21st century. There's some of you who've had a very personal upfront encounter with demons. I was talking to a young man this last week, and I was instructing him about how the demons were trying to take his life. And, said that, and I said, well, you know, that's what the demons do. And he looked at me like, oh, is, what? And I said, yeah, what you just described is what the demons do. 
He wasn't even aware that that's what the demons were doing. But when, you, when your eyes are open and you're aware of what the, uh, that when Jesus Christ comes into your life, the Spirit of God is breaking bondages, right? And people are getting set free. And so uh, we, uh, we fast to feast on God and his power to break bondages. And I, I look, this is what I'm looking forward to as, as this uh, 40 days unfold, that Sunday by Sunday there's going to be more and more people set free from bondages. I mean, people just going, yeah, yippee, God set me free. I had this thing was just all over me, and now I got set free. Now, this is what we're going to do. We're going to close off right now by having the worship team come back to the front. And then, uh, and, and as they're coming up, yeah, as they're coming up, I've, uh, I've I made up for you guys something that I think would be very helpful. And Ben's going to help pass them out here. Uh, it is fasting tools. Fasting tools. I never had, nobody ever gave me one of these my whole life. And Anna and I were talking about this, and she said, Bob, why don't you make up fasting tools? You just complained that nobody ever taught you about fasting. So I said, oh, good idea. So actually, Anna made up most of this, and uh, she's really good at that sort of thing. So we have fasting tools, fasting, gaining. Remember, fasting, fasting is the upside, and it has a downside. There's stuff you put out of your life. There's stuff you put into your life. And, uh, and, and this is a little tool that will help you to put stuff out of your life, put stuff into your life. And... Uh, so you, be sure to get one of those. And this is what we're going to do. Um, I'll close off on this, and I'll, I'll tell you about it. I believe that there is power when our whole church moves together. There's real power when a whole church moves together. And that's why I've listed these areas that you can take out of your life into your life. And, uh, and fasting also involves commitment. You've got to get into it. You've got to get into it. I mean, you just got to get into it. You can't think about it. You've got to get into it. Now, I don't know if I've told you the story before, but Ann and I were flying to Cali out of uh, Love Field. And so we got, we got onto the plane, and there's this little boy who was sitting directly over from us next in the window seat, directly over. And we we're on the left side. He's on the right side. And he's by himself. He's got all these tags on him, and he's got people going to meet him in L.A. And so the plane, he's, he's telling the, the two gentlemen who are sitting next to him, this is the first time I've ever been on an airplane. And he said, what does this do? And he's grabbing stuff, and he's dropping the tray thing down. He's opening stuff everywhere. And he says, whoa, look at this. He's jumping up, trying to turn the air on, and they're, they're trying to get him to sit back down. you got to put your seatbelt on. And so he's got his seatbelt on, and, and then the plane starts to move. He says, oh, what's that? What's that? And the guy said, well, the, the, the guy sitting next to him laughs and says, well, the plane's moving now. He says, it's moving? The plane's moving? Are we flying yet? Are we flying yet? And he said, no, 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 we're just, we're just, we're just going. When do we fly? Well, we, we've got to go out on the runway. What's a runway? A runway is where the plane gets ready to take off. Oh, okay, okay. So we go out on the runway. He says, are we flying yet? Are we going yet? He goes, no, 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 it's going to happen. Now people are starting to giggle all around. We get to the end of the runway. I mean, the, we get to the end of the taxiway, and, and the plane revs up. The whole plane's shaking. He's going, what's happening now? What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? And he says, well, the plane's getting ready to take off. He's going, oh, oh. He says, he starts yelling, hey, hey, the plane's getting ready to take off, everybody. Plane's getting ready to take off. They're going, shh, shh, shh. We know that. <laughs> so then the plane starts to go, and he is absolutely nuts. He's going, plane's going, plane's going. We're going to go off the ground. He goes, what's happening now? He says, well, the plane's gone. In the air. First time in my life I've been in the air. Ah, look, look. I think I see my grandma's house. <laughs> I mean, and it just went like that. For two hours, everybody in the plane was dying laughing. And you know what? It, it, it even got even more hilarious on the approach when we landed. It was just all over again. Here's the thing. I, Anna looked at me and she said, why aren't we that excited about walking with Jesus every day? Why aren't we just so lit up? Why aren't we just so lit up? We, we get to fly with Jesus. We get to be with him. We had to do his stuff. Ah, so awesome. So this, this is what we're going to do. We're going to strap ourselves in. We're going to put ourselves in the hands of God. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us with the joy of following Jesus again. That he would prepare us to be a people for more and more of him. Okay? Prepare us to be a people amazed 
the glory and the wonder of God our Father and His beautiful Son who sits at His right hand, who rose victoriously over sin and death and brings the boons and blessings of heaven to every repentant sinner. Today I'm calling you as your pastor to live out authentic life in Jesus. One that illustrates that you mean it. You mean it. Following Jesus, loving people, whatever it takes. So let's stand together. There are some of you who uh, have gotten into a really negative, you know, just, I don't know how they, just a dull place. Some of you have gotten into a dull place spiritually. Now you're starting to come out of it maybe, but you know you're in that place. And I'm going to ask you to do a bold thing today. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. If you're, if you're that person who's just in that place, been in a dull place, raise your hand. Okay, raise your hand. It's like, I need prayer today. I've been in a dull place spiritually. Okay. While these hands are up, I want you to get around them. Look around you. Keep your hand up. Get around. Get, get around. Uh, David, Paula, look behind you. Pray for Leslie. Okay, get your hand up. Okay, I want you to move over. You got Bobby's over here. Pray for Bobby. Good. Okay, get around these people. Uh, Jim, can you come on right for Valerie? Okay, we, we need some of you over here. Wayne and, and, and maybe uh, Mike, can you guys get over here on this side and begin to get around these people and pray? <clears throat> um, okay, good. Thank you, Lord. You ready to pray? Okay, we're going we're gonna to need, uh, I, I think I'm going to peel off uh, a couple of y'all who are praying for, for Marcus. Can we come over here and pray for some people over here? Just a couple of you. Okay, go ahead. Keep praying for Marcus, though. And you're praying for, okay, good. Now let's pray. Now, some of you may have never prayed for somebody before. I want you to go ahead and lay hands on them. Get your hands back up there and see where you are. And we're going to get around you and pray for you. Okay, there you go. Good. You put your hands down now. We've got people around you. Tam get somebody to pray for Tammy. Now, maybe you've not prayed before. Pray. The Spirit of God will come and fill them. Pray that what has kept them bound would be broken and pulled off in the name of Jesus. about freedom. Set the captives free. Break off every bondage in Jesus' name. Deepen their passion for Christ. Liberty in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, if you feel led to go pray for somebody else, you look over and you say, I think I'm going to go pray for that person. That's okay. You can just slip over and pray for them. Or you can join those who are praying. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. to you. I surrender. Find me here, Lord, as you draw me near, desperate for you. I surrender. I ask for more of you, Lord. More of your empowering presence. More of your grace. Come, Lord. Fall upon your people. Thank you, Lord Jesus.
wanted to give a quick reminder again today we are having community lunch um, if this is your first time here if this is your thousandth time here please join us um, we're going to be eating here in just a few minutes back in room 104 again stick around we would love to have uh, have lunch with you if you're a first time guest um pastor bob or myself will be uh by the uh, in the foyer here in a few minutes we'd love to get a chance to meet you as well uh, so now receive the uh receive the benediction this morning i'm going to read from isaiah 58 verse 9 then you will call and the lord will answer you will cry for help and he will say here am i as you pursue the lord through your fasting this week may you hear his voice as he says here am i amen